Well, good morning. It is such a blessing to be with you all this morning. Our family, we have been looking forward to this uh, for a long time, uh, to get to be back with our church family here at Temple Hills, and so it is, it is a great blessing to be with you, and I uh, trust that God will be faithful as we look at his word this morning as he speaks to us. Would you open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2? Revelation chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 11. Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to gather in your presence. Father, we recognize that it's not because of anything that we have done, any merit that we have, that we are able to approach your throne with confidence. But we recognize, Father, that it's solely through the sufficient work of your Son, Jesus, on the cross that enables us to approach you, that enables us to be called the sons and daughters of God, that enables us to have the hope of eternity. Father, we thank you for that great privilege. And Father, we thank you for your word. Father, you have spoken to us. And so, Father, as we open up your word, as we wrestle with it, I pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would transform us through your living and active word. Father, I thank you for this church and the blessing that it has been in my life, my family's life, over the last several years. We thank you for their faithful work here in Temple Hills. We thank you for their pastor, Omar. And we just pray that you would continue to bless them, lead them, guide them as they seek to glorify you in all that they do. We love you and we praise you. We give you this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, we serve with the International Mission Board as church planting catalyst in Mozambique, which is on the east coast of Africa, down you know, South Africa at the very bottom, and then uh, Mozambique runs along the coast uh, between South Africa in the south and then Tanzania in the north. And then we serve in a, in a small town called Pemba up in the northernmost province, uh, we live right on the coast of the Indian Ocean. Now, Mozambique is a uh, former Portuguese colony, and so because of that, when we first landed there, the first thing that we had to do is we had to go to school to learn Portuguese. And so we found ourselves, uh, Jennifer and I, um, studying Portuguese about eight hours a day for about ten months when we first got there. And, um, you know, that was, it was exciting to be learning a new language, but it was also frustrating because in a lot of ways you're a child again. You can't say what you want to say. You can't communicate the things that you want to communicate. But slowly and surely, um, by God's grace, we began to pick up the language. We began to be able to communicate and to say the things that we wanted to say. And I remember as I was growing in my abilities in Portuguese that I, I began to, to read my Portuguese Bible more and more. Um, just, just to try to get down some of the, the, the Bible language, the Bible words that wouldn't be necessarily covered in a, in a Portuguese lesson. And I remember that as I was studying God's Word one day, um, I came across this phrase, and it really uh, spoke to me. Um, it it kind of had this poetic, poetic sense to it. It just kind of rolled off your tongue well, and it, and it just stuck with me. And, and it, was, it was this phrase, Seja fiel a te amorti. Seja fiel a te amorti. Now, I don't know if anybody in here speaks Portuguese. I'll, I'll tell you what it means, but not right now. I'll tell you here in a little bit if you'll, if you'll stick with me. But seja fiel a te amorti. And that's what our, our time together this morning is really going to be focused on, is that, that single uh, Portuguese phrase. 
In Acts chapter 5, the apostles, we are told, are arrested because of their bold testimony about who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. And so because they continued to proclaim the name of Jesus in spite of the threats of the religious leaders, they were eventually arrested. The scripture tells us that the religious leaders, that they beat them and they threatened them and they commanded them to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. But eventually they were released and the scriptures tell us that the apostles left the religious leaders rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering because of the name of Jesus. Now this story is surprising because people do not normally rejoice when suffering happens. I don't know about you, the last year that you've had here um, dealing with COVID, dealing with all the, the secondary effects of COVID, um, dealing with other challenges. It, it, it wasn't as though all the other challenges that we face in this life stopped so that we could deal with COVID. Uh, the challenges were just multiplied. And I don't imagine that it came natural to you, as it did not for me, to rejoice in the midst of suffering. But that's what these apostles did in response to their suffering. Now, I think it's important to note that they were not rejoicing in their suffering. I don't think when it talks about that they'd been, they rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy of suffering because of the name of Jesus, that they were necessarily rejoicing in the fact that they had suffered, that they had been beaten, that they had been harmed and hurt because of their testimony. What I believe happened is that they were rejoicing that they had a Savior who was worthy of their suffering. Amen. And there's a completely different um, perspective there. It's, it's one thing to rejoice in suffering, and we would probably say that anyone that just rejoices in the fact that they're suffering, walking through difficulties, hurting, uh, that there is probably some, something going on there in their mind, that that's not a normal response. But for the believer, the one who places their hope and faith in Christ and knows that their days and their future are secure in him, we rejoice in the fact that we have a Savior that is worthy of our suffering. In writing from prison, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, he said, All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Not maybe, not there's a possibility, but they will be persecuted. Now the reality is that we all suffer in this life. It, it may be at the hands of a persecutor, like many of our brothers and sisters around the world. And I could tell you some stories of people that I know personally that have suffered, that have been kicked out of their homes, that have been abandoned by their families, that have, are unable to get work, unable to find a wife, not because they've committed some crime, not because they are, there's something wrong with them, but it's simply because they proclaim the name of Jesus. And so some suffer at the hands of a persecutor, but suffering also may be because of the sins of another or because of our own sin. Or suffering may occur because it's just the result of living in a fallen world where disease and injustice run rampant. Now, whether or not it's because of persecution, we will all suffer in this life. And the question is this, how will we respond? Will our faith inform the ways in which we respond to the suffering that we inevitably face? Now, in Revelation, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John writes seven letters to seven churches who were suffering persecution, who were going through difficult times. And these letters were intended to both correct and encourage these churches. Now, the second letter is written to the church in Smyrna in order to encourage them to remain faithful even in the midst of severe persecution and suffering. 
So let's look at this letter in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. This is a letter to the church in Smyrna. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now this letter begins with an introduction that identifies Jesus as the author. If you go back to verse 8, it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Now, it doesn't identify explicitly here. It doesn't say these words are from Jesus, but the way in which this letter begins, we can be assured that these are, in fact, the words of Jesus. Jesus is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He is both the first and the last. And so this letter begins by identifying Jesus as the author. Now, John is writing the letter. He's actually putting the ink to paper, but it is Jesus who is writing this letter to this church in Smyrna. Now, it's important for us to understand that these are not simply the words of man, but rather the words of God. Now, for us, uh, we have the benefit of our red-letter Bibles, and so we can identify this as the words of Jesus. But John wanted them to understand that this was coming from Jesus, that these were the very words of Jesus, and that he had a message for them. And because these are the words of Jesus himself to his church, they needed to listen, and so do we. Now, after the introduction, John continues by encouraging them in their faithfulness. In verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, to me, it's interesting here. Jesus identifies himself in the very beginning, writing that he's the author of this letter, and he begins by saying, I know your tribulation. And when you are suffering, when you are walking through difficulties, it is encouraging to know that somebody knows what we're walking through. And so Jesus tells them, I know what you're dealing with. I know your suffering. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. It's important to remember that Jesus knew about their suffering and their persecution. He knew about those who were speaking lies about them. They were suffering, but that did not mean that God had abandoned them. The reality is that God is always near his people. If you look back at Psalm 34, verses 17 through 22. Great words of encouragement regarding God's presence in the midst of suffering. In Psalm 34, beginning in verse 17, it says this, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. 
none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. A question is, do you trust these verses when you are walking through difficulty? Do you trust that God is present in the midst of your suffering? Jesus wanted them to know as they were walking through these dark days that he was with them, that he knew the very suffering that they were dealing with. And the same is true for each and every one of us. As we walk through challenges, as we experience setbacks, God is with us. That our suffering is not evidence that God has somehow abandoned us. But the promise of Scripture is that he walks with us through those dark moments. It was always amazing for me serving overseas amongst uh, the people that we worked with. We worked with three different tribes, or we worked with three different tribes, the Makua, the Makonde, and the Mwani. And they live in the, Mozambique is one of the, the poorest countries in the world. Last year they were seventh poorest country in the world, and we live in the poorest part of Mozambique. And so we live amongst people who feel forgotten, who live their entire life feeling abandoned and forgotten. And so it's always amazing for me to see the response of people that we work with as we tell them that God knows them and that God has not forgotten them and that God wants a relationship with him. It's amazing news to hear that God knows them. And the same is true for us. I think there are times in our lives we, we hear that a lot and we, we know in some sense that God is with us and that he's present. But we can almost become numb to that because we hear it so much. But to truly hold on to that truth as we walk through the valleys of life, knowing that God is by our side and that he is walking with us. God is not far off or unaware of what is happening in our lives. When we suffer, God knows about it. Now, it's interesting. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. It seems like an interesting thing. How can someone be both rich and poor? How, how, how does that happen in someone's life? Well, I think that when it talks about their poverty, I think it's, it's probably talking about actual poverty, that maybe because of their faith in Christ, they have suffered, they've lost work, they've been disowned. Uh, they've been ostracized, and, and so because of that, they are living in actual poverty. They, they lack basic necessities of life. And so he says, though you may be poor, or I know your poverty, you are rich. See, I think they are rich in the fact that they are sons and daughters of the king. They, they are physically poor, but in Christ they have everything that they need. Do you remember the story of the lost son? abandoned his father, took, took his part of his inheritance, went off, spent it all, ended up in the pig pen because he lost everything. And so he goes back to his dad in his poverty, thinking maybe his dad will just give him some work so that he can provide for himself and, and find enough to eat. When he comes back to his dad, his dad immediately embraces him, puts a coat on him, gives him a ring, throws him a feast. And the reality that we see in that story is that, is that the son was rich all along, even in his poverty, by nature the fact that he was a child of his father, he was rich. And the same is true for each and every one of us. Yeah, we, we may have poverty in this world, we may lack, and, and not just in material blessings, but health or whatever it is that we may feel it is that we lack in our lives. But we must not forget that we are sons and daughters of the king. 
And by that, by that connection, by, through that relationship, we have everything that we need. If you look at Romans chapter 8, one of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture, verses 15 and 17, Paul has some beautiful words about this relationship between us and the Father and, and what we have through that. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 17, it says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. To be an heir of God Almighty to be a co-heir with Christ. This is the experience for every person who has placed their faith in Christ. And so though we may experience poverty, we are rich because we are children of God. Not rich in some worldly way, but we are rich in that we have everything we need in Christ. A question to think about, does your identity as a child of the King change how you respond to challenges? Does it empower you to take risks for the sake of his glory, knowing that everything that you need can never be taken away? Knowing that we are his children and that we are rich in his mercy and his grace and his power and his holiness has the power to transform how we respond to challenges. Now John continues by giving them a warning about the future. And so if you look back at verse 10, it says this. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And so here it's interesting because this is intended to be a letter of encouragement in the midst of suffering. But John, or Jesus, foretells their suffering, and he tells them not to be afraid, even though some of them are going to be thrown into jail. And so it's supposed to be this encouraging letter, but part of the message is that your suffering is going to increase, that, that you've been suffering, you've been dealing with, with maybe persecution on some level, but that persecution is going to grow as you are going to lose every freedom that you have as you are thrown into jail. But he tells them that even in their testing, they are not to be afraid. Rather than fear, they are to have faith in Christ because he is with them. You know, it's, it's easy to be afraid when we are suffering. You know, I, I experienced this a bit overseas. We, we had a pretty easy time uh, during our, our three years over there. We, we didn't deal with a lot of illness. We didn't have a lot of setbacks. I mean, we, we felt safe um, all up until... February, when I came down with COVID, and I just one day, all of a sudden, I didn't have any energy. I didn't, I didn't want to eat. Um, over there, the medical care is not great, but you could get tested for COVID, and I tested negative a couple times before I eventually tested positive. And as you start talking to people about, okay, if this happens, what are you going to do? And you hear that there were 10 ventilators in the entire country of 35 million people that um, to get you out on a, on a emergency medical evacuation, it could take up to four days. And so I, I will tell you, there were moments when I was dealing with 
COVID. And I, and I never, by God's grace, I never got really sick. I never needed hospitalization or anything like that. Just didn't feel very well. Felt like I had the, a flu, the bad flu. But there were moments in my spirit where I was full of anxiety. And it was always about what if. You know, I'm fine now, but what if this happens? What if I do need oxygen? What if I do need to get to a country with better medical care and it's going to take me four days? And it, w- it was a telling time for me and a time that I had to reflect on after I passed through that season to think about wh- where is my hope? When I am facing challenges, am I confident in my Savior? And so as I say this, it's easy to be afraid when we are suffering. I, I know that from experience. And Unfortunately, I, I found myself wanting as I walked through that season. You know, when, when we or our family is sick, when there are problems with money or work, it is easy to be anxious. When we are persecuted or rejected because of our faith in Jesus, it's normal to be afraid. But he tells us, do not be afraid. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Instead of being afraid when we suffer, Jesus tells them to remain faithful. Look at the second part of verse 10. So it starts in in the first part, do not fear what you are about to suffer. But then you go down and it says, be faithful unto death. And so instead of being fearful, they are called, they are commanded to be faithful. John encourages them, even though they are suffering and will continue to suffer, to remain faithful even unto death. Seja fiel a te Amorti, be faithful unto death. And I believe that God gave me that very early on in our time over there as an encouragement, as a reminder to me that, that whatever you may face these next couple years living in this foreign country, be faithful unto death. Seja fiel a te amorti. To remain faithful means not abandoning our faith. When suffering because of our faith, there can be this temptation to abandon it because we think that God has somehow abandoned us. We we feel like that there is this relationship that we have with God that if we're faithful to him, he will be faithful to us in the sense that we will not walk through challenging times. And so there can be this temptation to walk away thinking that he has not held up his part of the deal. But through John, Jesus tells us to be faithful when you are in the deepest, darkest valleys. Rather than being fearful, rather than being tempted to abandon your faith as though God has not kept his, up his part of the deal, we are called to be faithful even up until death. And can you say that about your relationship with Jesus, that you value it more than the comforts of this world or even your life? That if those things were taken away, that you would still be able to say that I am going to be faithful even unto death. To be faithful unto death requires us to value our faith more than our comfort. It means that we fix our eyes on our Savior rather than on our suffering. We are called to be faithful even if it costs us our comfort, even if it costs us our lives. But Jesus is quick to remind the church that their suffering will not be without hope. And so he says, you all have been suffering. You're going to suffer some more. Be faithful unto death. Continue to fix your eyes upon me as you walk through the valley of suffering. But he doesn't leave them there. He continues. He's quick to remind the church that their suffering will not be without hope. 
The promise of Jesus that he will give the faithful the crown of life. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That is the hope for every believer. That is the hope for every Makua believer living in Mozambique, living in extreme poverty, running from a, a, a violent insurgency, dealing with illnesses that over here are no big deal that can kill them. The hope for them is not that they will someday get to a place where, where wealth will start to pour into their country and they're, they're going to be able to live like we do in the West. That is not the hope that they have. Their hope is in the crown of life that is theirs in Christ. The promise of Jesus that he will give the faithful the crown of life. The hope of the faithful is eternal life. The promise to the faithful is that there will be a day when the suffering and the persecution will end. We may suffer in terrible ways in this life, but we can have confidence because God promises us the crown of life. Eternal life in his presence, enjoying him forever. That is the hope that we have. That hope transcends COVID. That hope transit transcends loss of job, loss of health, whatever thing that we may suffer, that promise transcends all of it. And if you know Christ, then you have this hope. So the question is, does knowing that give you the confidence you need when you are facing struggles? Now John ends his letter with a warning. If you look at verse 11, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And when he talks about hearing this message, I believe he's talking about understanding and applying it. To truly hear is to respond. Jesus is saying that we have a responsibility to respond to this message. We need to be faithful even unto death. When we are in the midst of suffering, we need to be faithful. Like the people we work with over in Mozambique, when we are hungry or sick or persecuted, we need, to be, we need to remain faithful unto death. Our ears do us no good if all we do is hear, but fail to apply. Jesus is calling us to respond to this call with faithfulness. He makes one more promise that the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, we understand that we all experience physical death, but the promise of the gospel is that we will not experience God's wrath because of Jesus' death, that we will escape that second death. It's been said that if you were born once, then you will die twice. But if you were born twice, then you will only die once. Amen. And we understand that to mean that if we have experienced a new birth in Jesus Christ, we will experience physical death, but then we have eternity with God to look forward to. But those who reject the call of the gospel, those who try to attain some sort of salvation or hope through their own merit and own works, that they will not only experience physical death, but spiritual death as they are separated for all eternity from God. And so for those who've experienced a spiritual birth, God gives us the crown of life. You know, a question for all of us to think about this morning, in what ways are you suffering right now? And how are you responding to it? Maybe in big ways or small ways. Maybe it's COVID-related. Maybe it's something completely different. You know, God does not promise us an easy life. 
In fact, the opposite is true. The Bible speaks often and tells us that all who follow God will suffer. The challenge is to remain faithful, faithful even unto death. Seja fiel ate amorti. I'm tell you about a guy named Joabu. Joabu was one of the few Christians in the northernmost part of our province. He was a Muslim. Um, his family was Muslim. Um, but he heard the gospel at one point, believed and trusted in Christ as a savior, was baptized. And for those leaving the Muslim faith, baptism is really the line in the sand. When you publicly profess your faith in Christ through baptism, that is when the persecution starts. In Mozambique, there, there is supposedly religious freedom, and so it's, it's okay for us to be missionaries. It's okay for people to be missionaries. There's, there's no persecution that comes from the government, but there is social persecution. There is cultural persecution, and so when Joabu came to faith, his family kicked him out of the house. He had nowhere to live. He couldn't find a job, but by God's grace, God sustained him, provided for him, brought other believers, even though there were very few in that part of the, the country and that part of the province, brought other believers, and they were able to gather together and to worship God, to study God's word. God provided him a wife, a child. Then his wife got pregnant with another child. She was almost nine months pregnant. And then one night, these men entered into their town and started shooting started throwing these Molotov cocktail kind of things on these thatch roofs of all the, the houses in, the, in this town. And the, the whole town was going up in smoke. And people were running, people were getting shot at, people were dropping as they got shot. Joabu, his wife, who was nine months pregnant, and their daughter, they ran off into the bush. In the middle of the night, you know, there's no lights out there. All you have is moon and stars. And they waited out in the bush for three days, just waiting for these men to leave. Eventually, they started walking. They walked about 100 kilometers to another town where there was a, a, a shop, I was gonna say shop, a, a minibus, um, these little minibuses that, that transport people. They were able to get to a shopa and through three different connections in like 12 hours, they eventually got to our town. Now, meanwhile, his, preg his wife is nine months pregnant, ready to have this baby as they're out in the bush. And so Joabu eventually gets to our town, Pemba, and within a week, his wife has this baby. And meanwhile, they have no place to live, no clothes. They've got a backpack with a few little trinkets in it. But God sustains Joabu. As I think about him, I think, man, I, I think I would have been a little bitter at that point. That I had come to faith in Christ. I had endured the suffering that came with um, going against my family and being kicked out. That I would um, continue to be faithful in that. And then these men come into our town and completely turn things upside down. And now with a, a new baby um, on the way and then, then born, I have nothing. I'm starting life completely over. If I had been Joabu, I, I would have had some questions for God. Where, where are you in the midst of this? Where are you 
as these men are coming in and turning our lives upside down. But what does Joabba do once he gets settled in the town where we live? He finds out that a bunch of the people that were from his town just happened to be in that same little neighborhood. And so he begins to go out and to share the gospel with these men and these women. And what he finds is that here you have Muslim men and women who just had to flee their town because other Muslim people were shooting at them. And so now they have all these questions. If, if they're Muslim and we're Muslim and they're trying to kill us, what does that say about our religion or about our faith? And so what Joabu finds is that there is a new openness. People that would never have been open to the gospel suddenly are asking questions that their faith can't answer. And so Joabu begins to see people come to faith. And within a month and a half of being in our town, his entire life being torn upside down, a new baby, Joabu was having these men and women come to his house, the little house that he finds, and they have a, they've started a little church. Seja fiel até a morte. Be faithful unto death. Church, when I, when I think about what that means, I think of Joabu. And I think about how all of us, regardless of our, I, I imagine none of us will ever, ever walk through the suffering that Joabu has walked through. But that doesn't mean that we're not suffering. And so the question for each of us, will we remain faithful even unto death? Even when it seems that God has not kept up his end of the bargain, as though we, you know, in our understanding, we thought there was this bargain in the first place. Will we remain faithful even unto death? You know, when a virus hits and turns your life upside down, seja fiel até a morte. When a job unexpectedly ends, seja fiel when you hear of other believers abandoning their faith, seja fiel até a morte. When your marriage gets rocky, or when doubts about your faith creep in, seja fiel até a morte. In Acts chapter 7, we read about the death of Stephen. I imagine we're all familiar that story, Stephen boldly proclaimed the gospel. He boldly spoke against the religious leaders that had put Jesus to death. And because of that, he was put on, he was, had this f- fake trial and was condemned to death. And they began to pick up the rocks and they began to throw them at him. If you look at Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. 
Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And we had said this, he fell asleep. Seja fiel até a morte. Like Joabu, Stephen is an example of what it looks like to be faithful even unto death. And the challenge for each of us this morning is that we would all have that kind of faith. As we face the difficulties, the trials in this life, that we would remain faithful to our Savior, the one who has pursued us through the cross, the one who is sufficient to sustain us through whatever valley we have to pass through. May we all have that kind of faith, the kind of faith that is victorious even unto death as we look forward to the crown of life that is ours in Christ Jesus. So as we walk through the trials of this life, seja fiel até a morte. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know what any of you may be going through at this very moment, but there are some things that I do know. I know that your Savior is both present and aware. Whatever it is that you're facing, God is present and he is aware. And he is sufficient to sustain you moment by moment. And it would be great if this morning I could promise you that whatever it is that you're walking through, that it will end and that life will get back to normal and that everything will be fine. But I cannot make you that promise because Scripture does not make you that promise. But what I can promise you is that there is a crown of life waiting for you and that there will be a very real, concrete moment when all suffering, when all persecution, when all of it will come to an end as we gather before the throne of our Savior to worship him forever. That is your hope. That is your confidence. And may you place your trust in him. If you've never placed your trust and faith in Christ Jesus, I would call you to consider him this morning. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. Father, I... I thank you for the promises of your word that you never leave us nor forsake us. Father, we thank you for the promise that you are present even in the valleys. We thank you for the promise that there is all of eternity to look forward to as we worship you, as we glorify you. Father, I pray for each and every person that's in here this morning. I pray that wherever they are, whatever they may be walking through, that they would commit themselves to being faithful even unto death as they look to you, their sustainer and their savior. Father, if there are any here that do not know you, Father, I pray that they would understand 
that all that we have been talking to, talking about, that these are the promises for your children. And Father, there is a really a very real moment for those who forsake you and reject you. Well, they will be separated forever from you as they suffer the reality of hell. So, Father, I pray that they would turn to you, that they would recognize their sin, repent of it, and turn to you, turn to Christ as their Savior. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together as a church body. I pray that as we leave this place, that we would do so with confidence, knowing that you are with us and that you will sustain us. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.